0: Matthew chapter 2, and uh, as I mentioned the other day that I want to minister along two streams this uh, morning, and that is along the subject of both Christmas and children, and we're going to Matthew chapter 2. It is a wonderful baby dedication, and to see these young families uh, and uh, these little boys and all that God is going to do in their life. Put up the quote, says, Take away. It says, Take away children and you take away Christmas. Now, we understand. I know you're going to come to me and say, Wait a minute, uh, you know, Christmas isn't about that. But in fact, it is. It's a story of a child and the birth of a baby. And in a larger sense, we understand how much this time of the year means and can mean to a child. There is a genuine thrill and excitement. You know, my wife and I were talking about this, that, uh, you know, she comes from a family of, of eight children and, um, no, eight, ten, ten children, eight's small, and uh, she had ten kids, and uh, you know, when I married in the family, I come a family of six kids, we were kind of a small nuclear family, and... I remember we'd go over there and, you know, the grandchildren and and you'd have all these small little children. And there was a genuine excitement in the air, the tree, the presents, the three, four, five, six-year-olds. And they're sitting there trying to steal one. And, uh, you know, all this action that's going on. And then as the years roll by, going back to the very same house, same tree, but everybody's grown up. I mean, it can feel a little bit different. Take away children and you take away Christmas. I've mentioned to this church before that my father had the foresight to buy a little eight millimeter camera back in around 1960. And uh, every Christmas through the sixties, maybe the first six, seven years of the sixties, he filmed every Christmas and we would have these little tiny eight millimeter films. And then uh, my brother Ray uh, got the foresight to, began to edit them and created a Christmas video over those years. Quite honestly, it's tough for me to even look at. But you see this room full of little boys. There were five boys, one after another. And then a few years later, my sister came along. But to see just all these little children on Christmas Eve. Take away children, and you take away Christmas. I want to preach this morning a sermon called Christmas And children, and we're going to look in Matthew chapter 2. It says these words in verse 1. Well, somehow I ended up in Romans chapter 2. I know it's right there in front of me, but I like to read it from my own Bible. Matthew chapter 2. It says these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying... But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod when it secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent to them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring him word to me that I may come and worship him also." When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. Verse 10 says, "When they saw this star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him: gold, frankincense and myrrh. Father. God, we pray blessing over the children of this congregation. We thank you for the child that came. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to make three points this morning in this text about children and Christmas. And the first one is that children have a destiny. Now, this uh, is one of the accounts surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. The other one is found in the book of Luke. And when you read the book of Luke, the story is about uh, the shepherds um, and the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, Whereas Matthew tells a different story, it is the story of the Magi, or as we come to know them, as the wise men. The truth is that this happened after Jesus was born. They were not simultaneous events. Um, And we are told here um, In the word of God that these wise men came from the east in search of the birth of the king of the Jews. Now, many people wonder who they are. I know that uh, uh, many of you have studied this in your your Bible studies. have been looking at this, uh, that uh, there are many who believe that the Magi uh, were actually uh, from uh, Babylon. And that uh, hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, when a young Daniel had gone to Babylon uh, and was a very powerful prophet uh, and labored there for 70 years, uh, and while he was there, God showed him many things about the coming Messiah or the prince who was going to come. And that uh, as Daniel was there, he began to set up some sort of school of prophets or school of prophecy uh, and began to train uh, men to begin to look for the fulfillment of the prophecies that he was referring to. And uh, hundreds and hundreds of years later, these wise men were actually the product of that school and that revelation. Uh, And the Bible says by uh, by the use of calendars, by considering what uh, they had learned, uh, they had come to the conclusion that this was the time where uh, uh, the the king of the Jews was going to be born. uh, And they made this 500-mile journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, uh, driven by that. And as they began to move, um, a star appeared and eventually led them um, to the place of Jesus' birth Um, 500 miles across the desert. There is no transportation of any sort, perhaps uh, other than a camel or something like that. Uh, This would have been an extreme hardship. Uh, Men unsure about how it was going to work out with limited knowledge, but they knew something. And that is that there was a child of destiny coming. Something supernatural is happening. Verse two, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east uh, and have come to worship him. The reason why I'm using this story and preaching on children is in Matthew chapter 2, you will find the words children or child 11 times. That this figures very prominently in this story. That you cannot help but follow the narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ and the immediate days afterwards without understanding the role or the position of children. Children are part of the Christmas story. Jesus this morning is the child of destiny. That's probably the best place to start. These men came because of ancient prophecies. Listen to Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince uh, of Peace. In other words, uh, some 500 or 600 years uh, before this event, um, a prophet Isaiah said not only would God bring a Messiah, but that Messiah would be born. It would be a child. That the unveiling of God's purpose was going to be uh, a child that was going to be born. Uh, and these wise men understood that uh, 500 miles away and 400 years later, they understood uh, that there was going to come a child and that child was going to be born and that was going to have incredible uh, significance. Their words were, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Isn't it interesting that you can find in the Bible 33 times the words concerning Jesus that it might be fulfilled? You know, you might come here today. You came along maybe to see a a child dedicated or you just kind of felt uh, a little bit spiritual this time of the year and you don't really believe the Bible. You have your doubts. Let me remind you again 33 times in the Bible concerning the life of Jesus Christ, you find the words that the scripture might be fulfilled. In other words, uh, as Jesus walked the earth uh, again and again, his life uh, was described and spoken about four, five hundred, six hundred years before. He's the child of destiny. This is not accidental. Jesus didn't walk around uh, trying to follow a map. As he lived his life, others saw what he did uh, and realized that what he's doing, somebody told us 500 years ago, that's what he would be doing. That is the story of his life, even when he was a child and other people were making decisions. Know what else is interesting? The Bible tells us that when the wise men got to Herod's palace, they had no clue. They were too busy partying. They were too busy living life. They were so locked into the here and now and the immediate uh, gratification and pleasures and conflicts that life throws at us, that when these wise men showed up at the palace looking uh, for the king of the Jews, uh, this came to them. They were totally unprepared. Uh, They didn't care. They were living in Israel. uh, They are supposed to be the ones that cared the most. They didn't care at all. Can I tell you this morning, there are an awful lot of people like that today. Their, their version of Christmas is Christmas parties. Their understanding of Christmas is let's get drunk. Let's, let's just have a good time. They're not even thinking about it. And if wise men showed up today at the local mall, uh, there'd be many people there that, what are you talking about? Because they're not looking for the king of the Jews. Tony put up the picture. Isn't that nice? That's, that's pretty cool, pretty clever. Find the perfect gift. There is the shepherds on the field, Um, you look at that, uh, you see the star, uh, unless you, uh, 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 most people would understand what it's saying. This is kind of an innocuous message, and uh, a a group in Washington, D.C. paid to have that put on all the buses in Washington, D.C. this year, find the perfect gift, and uh, a judge ruled that that is uh, uh, a violation and forbade them to put this on the bus. This is against the law. You can't do this. Something as innocuous and pleasant as this is a threat. The Bible says that when they came to Herod, uh, all of a sudden he's threatened by, by this. That's the world we live in. have a clue. I don't care. I don't want to care. They want to just party, have a good time. Uh, That's what the holidays. And the judge said, "Well, there's a religious Christmas, uh, but there's also a secular Christmas, uh, and we got to make sure we don't shove it down people's throat." You can take that down. You know what is also true here is that it's not only that Jesus that has a destiny, but children have a destiny. See, the story of the birth of this baby is so powerful because what it suggests is that every child that is born has a destiny. Every time a baby is born, there is a star over that child. There's a sense that this child has a purpose. When you read the Bible, that is why it takes time to tell us the birth stories of Moses and Jacob, Samson, Jeremiah, John the Baptist that the Bible bothers to tell us the the surroundings of when they were born because it's communicating a message, and that is that every child has a destiny. That uh, these two precious little baby boys, they have a destiny. They have a purpose. The, 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 The children that are right now in the nursery, the little toddlers in the, in, the, uh, in the toddler room that are right now tying up uh, uh, the nursery workers, uh, they have a destiny. I'm just joking with you there. Come on now. Every time you hold a little baby in your arms, you say, who knows what this child will become? Could this be? Am I holding Moses? Am I, am I holding Abraham? Am I holding Abraham Lincoln? It's interesting to me that the wealthiest countries in the world have the declining birth rates. You ever thought about that? They say that there are certain countries in Europe that are gonna completely lose the, their, their, their cultural identity here pretty soon because the people aren't having children anymore. They do not have children anymore. They don't want children. The wife wants a career. She doesn't want her career to be interrupted. They want to do other things in life, and they do not want to have children. And so consequently, the birth rates in many Western European countries, and so they've opened up immigration, and immigration has come, and migrant families many times are having seven, eight children. They're averaging 1.2. And simple math says uh, that by the middle of this century, some countries, the local population is going to eventually be passed by because in their mind, it is not about destiny. It's about my destiny, my life, my comfort, what I want. Versus holding a baby in and saying, this baby, this baby could change the world. There's a second truth here, and that is that children are a target. This might be disturbing to you, but I'm here to preach the Bible. Satan hates your children. It's disturbing, but you know what? It's part of the Christmas story, and it's the part of the Christmas story you never hear. This is the part of the Christmas story that they don't uh, do. You know, I, I, you know they, Rudolph, and I'm not against Rudolph. I'm glad that uh, God was able to help him uh, and, uh, and uh, all the other little broken toys. I, I wept the first time I saw that. I appreciate the Grinch getting his, uh, his heart growing three times and all that. That's a wonderful thing. And, and, and I'm not against those, those things have their place, but I want to tell you, the part they don't tell you about is the terrible slaughter. People have a vague idea. I'm sure if you were to talk to people and canvass them and ask them questions, well, what, what do you really know about the, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus? Uh, and, and, and people would probably say, well, there were some shepherds in a field. There was Charlie Brown, Lucy Linus. Um... You know, there were wise men, and, 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 and people would get, but, but you know, what they don't know is that one of the worst massacres in the Bible happened because of Christmas. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, so what happened, just put it down, because I know they're reading, they're not listening, so put it down what happened was that Herod had told the wise men, oh really, the king of the Jews, wow, great. Now here he is, he's the king of the Jews. And now they're telling him that a a child has been born that's the king of the Jews. He's a a, a paranoid, tormented soul. And so, but he faints, oh really, praise the Lord. A child, king of the Jews, you go and find him and when you find him, you come back and tell me where he is so that I can go and worship him. You can almost see Herod looking at his henchmen going. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to worship you know. And so, and so the wise men, they're, they're wise for a reason. Ah, oh, okay, all right, sure enough, give me your number. And, uh, they, and they went, and the Bible says they followed the story, they found him, and then afterwards, uh, they began to listen to the voice of God, and they said, Let's not go and tell Pharaoh or Herod. Hey, isn't that an interesting Freudian slip? Let's not go tell Herod. Now we pick up the story. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Can you imagine that? So we begin to get a little bit of idea here that they didn't know exactly when Jesus was born, but they surmised somehow within a two year span. And so let's just be sure any child, any male little boy, two years and under, let's kill. And the Bible says they went into Bethlehem, massacred these little babies. That's in the Bible. That's actually a part of the Christmas story. You read that and you can't help but think that that had happened before, didn't it? Pharaoh had ordered the death of Hebrew baby boys. Why? Because the population was growing so fast. They looked down and said, you know, it won't be long before they outnumber us. And so he said, what we'll do is every male baby will be drowned. And it's evil, horrific. It's these men who body evil, hate babies. You know, in the book of Revelation chapter 12, it says that the dragon sought to kill the child as soon as it was born. As soon as it was born. Satan hates kids. I don't know how else to tell you. Not only does Satan hate kids, but there's something very flawed in the human heart that will act out towards babies. I don't care if you're from Planned Parenthood. There's something very evil in the human heart. That would harm babies. You say, where would would that come from? It comes from Satan. See, Herod feared this baby. Remember what we said? Babies have destiny attached to them. They threaten the existing order. Evil understands the danger that is present in every child. Look at this quote. He who owns the youth gains the future. Adolf Hitler. I'm going to read you a disturbing paragraph here in a minute. I did read this once before in a sermon six, seven years ago. It comes from the book China Road. When I started going to China and the one-child policy was intact there, And one of the things that I discovered ministering in China is when you prayed for uh, older women for health issues, many of these women had had five or six abortions because that was the law. In this book, the writer tells the story of riding on a bus. He took a a bus. He traveled across the length of China, starting in Shanghai, and then moving west, which in our brains would be east, but it's this side of the world, and he went across China, and as he's there, he tells his incredible stories. It's a great read, but he talks about being on a bus, and he notices a doctor and two nurses, and he knows what they are. They are there to enforce the one-child-only policy, so he decides to talk to them, want you to put this up He approaches them and he says to the woman, "So you're a doctor?" "Yes. I'm in charge of family planning in this country. And you travel around enforcing the one-child policy?" "Yes." And then he says, "It is dawning on me what her job involves. Traveling with her are two young nurses, probably in their late 20s, early 30s. So you travel around giving women checkups." I ease gently toward the questions I really want to ask. "Yes." That's where we're going now. And what happens if you find that there are women who are pregnant and who shouldn't be pregnant? We try to persuade them to have an abortion. And if they don't agree, we have to force them, she says, pausing slightly. You know, there are too many Chinese people. But how do you force them? What if they won't go? There's a department of the police in each town or county that enforces the family planning laws they go into the woman's house and if she will not come voluntarily, she is taken to the clinic by force. You know, sometimes we can read these stories in the Bible and say, oh, those are horrible Bible stories. This book was written seven years ago. Let me take it a little bit further. We live in a culture that is hostile to children. 42 million abortions in this country since it became legal. Now we're finding out that those who are providing the abortions are making money selling the body parts. You know, you would think in a nation like ours this would be a massive outcry. In fact, our government is finally going to investigate it but it's not being reported at all. I'm saying to you that this world is hostile to children. We are living in an age where parents can choose to gender transition their children below the age of 10. Parents can say, we feel our son or daughter is, uh, you know, not the sex you're supposed to be, and a parent can make that choice. That's criminal. That's child abuse. Over 1 million kids age 5 and under are on antidepressants and anxiety medication in America. Something's wrong, folks. It's not always this overt. Sometimes it's a lot more subtle. Yolanda told me a very interesting little story I want to communicate. I got to move along here. But she was back in Arizona recently. Her mother was sick, and she was there. And while she was there, she was uh, uh, spending time with her young niece, little girl, very cute little kid. But uh, she told her about something that I never heard of. I I asked a couple of people. Everybody heard about it but us. But it's called Elf on the Shelf. Ah, okay, there we go. So, uh, you know, Ilana told me the story. I'd never heard of it. Elf on the Shelf. Apparently there's these little elves that probably cost a dollar to make that they sell for a lot more. And it comes with a little book. And the story basically is that this elf is Santa's helper. He's in your house. uh, And his job is to make sure that you're nice and not naughty. And there's magic involved. uh, And every night uh, while you're asleep, uh, he reports to Santa uh, how you've been. And then every morning he's sitting in a different place, I guess, to study you. Am I I, I close? Nobody wants to admit it, you know what I mean? Uh, But I'm close, and so so the other thing is that you're not supposed to touch him. And you gotta wear these gloves, these magic gloves, because if you touch him, he'll disappear. You ain't getting jacked for Christmas. And so uh, you're not allowed to touch them. Um, and you got to wear magic, uh, special gloves to touch them. And so, uh, uh, you know, Ilana's kind of finding this out. She read the little book and all this stuff. And, and so this little girl, you know, she's in a Christian home. And, and she kind of, you know, and, and the little girl starts to say, you know, well, this is what it is. And, the, and, and you know, the, the, the elf is looking at you and, you know, and reporting. But the problem is to her and her little friend, she goes, you know, they were, the way they were handling this elf, it was like it was a little god. And all the little superstition and magic that was associated with it. And, and Yolanda made a, a very good statement. I thought, you know, I might turn that into a sermon one day. She says, the devil uses magic. God uses miracles. Yeah. Well, isn't that a good thought? And so I and began to communicate, no, no, don't put spiritual powers. Oh, it's just kids being kids. It's cute. No, just having fun. So she begins to talk to her about this uh, and the it moving. And so when she's there with her little elf, and so Yolanda just joking with her, says, I'm going to touch your elf. And she says, no, no. I'm,", I'm You know, knowing she thought the little girl, you know, kind of run away and they'd have a little fun. And then your line goes, no, I'm going to touch you. And this girl goes, leave her alone. Started crying, leave him alone. Whoa. This is when you expect the head that's been around, you know, like. And it was like, whoa, this is not just, oh, it's just so cute, you know, it's magic. So she said, no, 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 no. And she began to press in, began to say, wait a minute here. Devil does magic, Jesus does miracles. Began to talk to her, began to walk her through it, began to back her away from it. it, and you really... We realize that this, you know, and so she, you know, she finally dealt with her about the elf. I asked Yolanda the next morning, Yolanda woke up, the elf was right there above her bed like that. <laughs> she said it, she's standing, the little girl, the next door neighbor, little girl, just walking up and down, stroking the elf, just looking at her. Hey, I think I sufficiently freaked some of you guys out here. The grandmother little girl said, drag, how am I gonna get her to behave now until Christmas, you know? You know, know, there's a lot of cute little things that actually can be very harmful to kids. I raised our kids to not believe in Santa Claus. (gasps) Sciver their ear, run them out of the building. They're good, they're well adjusted, they're right there. I remember uh, Yolanda got a phone call from the teacher, first grade teacher. Raquel ruined it for all the kids in the first grade. (laughs) Sometimes the hostility is not overt, it's just subtle. Introducing magic and witchcraft into the lives of children. Okay, let's talk finally then about how children need protection. It's pretty obvious that children need protection. If there is this kind of threat, and indeed there is, then you and I have to protect them. Children of destiny are not going to get there on their own. It is a job of parents it is the job of a family, of a church, of society to protect children. The Bible tells us that there was a demon-possessed woman named Athaliah. She was the daughter of Jezebel. That's all you needed to know. And the Bible says that she wanted to be queen. And so she decided to slaughter any male heir to the throne. And they were able to grab one named Joash at the age of one years old. And the Bible says uh, for six years... They had to hide him in the temple to keep this evil woman from killing him. May I say to you this morning, what a powerful portrait of life. A church exists to help parents hide their children from those things that want to destroy them and to preserve their inheritance, to preserve their destiny. So I want to just leave you with a couple thoughts and we'll close it. Number one, Remember that children are helpless. You know, Raquel just recently had a little baby, her and Jim. And the last time I uh, really was around a brand new baby was when she was born 25 years before. And when he was born and we went in there for the first time, it's caught on camera from like five different angles uh, and slow motion and everything else. Uh, But I wanna tell you when I saw this little boy and and they're like, Well hold him and I want to hold him, but part of me is like, man, you know, I, you know, I, you know, everything's just loose, you know. <laughs> and, and and you just realize how fragile these tiny little children are. They're completely vulnerable okay, you see these pictures of these little, uh, you know, horses being born and, you know, 15 minutes they're in the next, you know, they're, they're just taken out. That's not a baby. God has designed these babies as totally helpless so that their parents and family and society says they are going, we're going to protect them. We are going to rally to these little babies whole lives. Uh, talk to these young couples. This is the firstborn for these two young families, and I'm telling you, their whole life has changed now because it's all about protecting this baby because this baby's helpless. This baby can do nothing for itself. They, they do a few things, but uh, anyway, but that's, uh, this, is, this, this is what it is. Another truth is that babies need fathers who will cooperate with God. Precious little babies need fathers who cooperate with God. Verse 13, it says, Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Rise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. You know, it's interesting that God just didn't send uh, uh, strong angels to stand guard or to slaughter. He could have, but he didn't do it. He says, you know how I protect the baby? I protect the baby by a father who will talk to me. A father that will talk to me so that I can help him and direct him. You children will drive you to your knees. I pastored for Six years before my son was born, and I already prayed, had a prayer life. And I want to tell you, uh, when I had kids, my prayer life had to go up several notches. And, and it, they will drive you to your knees. And the council, uh, uh, God had something to say to Joseph to protect his wife and his kid. And Joseph had a life that he could hear that and listen to that. It would be so hard to be a father and not have a prayer life. To just kind of stumble blindly, trying to just figure things out on your own, uh, or even worse, use popular culture as a reference point. But to be able to get on your knees uh, and say, "God, you got to help my son, help my daughter," not just when they're brand new babies, but when they're teenagers, especially that you begin to pray and lay hold of God and, and the kids need that protection that comes. And say, oh, I'm a tough guy. I know jujitsu and I know tai chi and I drink chai tea. And uh, I can, uh, you know, I'm a bad man. You know, listen, I'm telling you that what they need is a man who knows how to pray. Listen to God for your kids. Give them the blessing of being of somebody who intercedes you know what gives your kids peace? They know you're praying for them, that you're a man of prayer. And I want to tell you, even when they get older, they'll call you and say, hey, can you please pray for this? And finally, one last thought, and that is the ultimate protection. You know the ultimate protection is? That this little baby, this little child of destiny that caused men to walk across, or go, travel 500 miles across the desert, They caused the present king to go into a a frenzy of, 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 of hate to slaughter little children. That baby that when he was born, a heavenly choir broke out and began singing to a bunch of shepherds on the side of a mountain. 33 years later, went to a cross and died. You can't understand Christmas unless you understand that that child became a man and died. Ernie Toppin's famous song, everybody loves the baby, but they crucified the man. The story, the story is that that little baby was a child of destiny because he was destined to die and having died, this is the wildest thing about it, having died, all the other babies would be protected by this baby being left unprotected. He provides protection for all other children. And even when those children grow up and even when those children do foolish and sinful things, that's Christmas. It's not right to just tell half the story. The whole story is Jesus Christ, God's Son, born in a manger instead of a palace, living a humble life in Galilee rather than in Jerusalem, and rather than ascending to a throne, is lifted to a cross. And having done that, paid the price. For every person in this room. Your sins could be forgiven. The perfect gift. The perfect gift. Jesus Christ. The son of God. Let's bow our heads. While our heads are bowed. We're before God. No one moving about. Just for a minute. Christians are praying. I want to. I want to speak today to visitors who came along to this service. We're really glad you're here. We're praying for you. That little slogan said, find the perfect gift. And there was a picture, a suggestion of shepherds abiding in a field with their sheep and a star in the sky. Because I'm telling you, the perfect gift for every person here is forgiveness. The perfect gift for every person here is to know that they're sins have been washed away and have found in Jesus Christ a relationship with God. That they're no longer walking blindly through earth, guessing, philosophizing, but instead they found purpose. The Bible says in the book of Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. We sin, and with our sin, there comes a payday, a check, a deposit for what we've done, a bill. But then it goes on to say, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The perfect gift is forgiveness of sin. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I'm not a religious person, but I do know that I need forgiveness. I do know that my heart's not right with God. I fear the payday. Jesus Christ, by dying on that cross, has given me eternal life and given me forgiveness because of what he did. I want to take and receive that gift for myself. And I'm here today to turn from sin and follow Christ while our heads are bowed. What made those men cross the desert 500 miles It's the same thing that made me, as I sat in a church service, just like this. Get up from where I was sitting and walk 12 feet to an altar and bow my knee because I needed Jesus. Maybe you're here and say, Pastor, that's me this morning. While our heads are bowed, I need to get saved. If that's you, that's like you raise your hand right now. Just put it up. Hold it there for a minute and you're saying, I need Christ. I'm not right with God. I need forgiveness. Here's my hand. Lift it up all around this building hold it there. We want to pray for you this morning. I need Jesus. I'm not right with God. Would you pray for me? I'm moving on just in a minute, but God's dealing with people here. That's why we're here. We don't come here for this. There's no point to come than to say, I'm one to be honest with God. Here's my hand. Would you respond? Maybe you're a backslider. Maybe there was a time when you walked with God, but then there was a time when you walked away. God's brought you back this morning, and you say, I need to quit running, Pastor. Here's my hand. I want to get my heart right with God. I'm backslidden. I want to repent. Lift up your hand before I do anything else. All around this building. God bless you. Thank you. Who else this morning? Would you pray for me? Hands have gone up. Are there any others? Before I move on, I want to give you an opportunity. This is our priority. Lift up your hand. Thank you, Jesus. I want every one of you then that lifted your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Would you just step out of your seat right now? And just come. I want to, to pray for you. Lift in your hand. Don't be embarrassed. Just get up right now. Come on. That's okay. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? You lift in your hand. These are making their way forward. Say, I need Christ. I need Jesus this morning. Would you come? Anybody else? Hallelujah. You know, church, I preach a room full of parents, grandparents, future parents, young people here that you're still in school doesn't change every child has a destiny every teenager has a destiny I want to tell you the drama of the Bible is all of hell is working against that child all of hell is working to rob that child of its destiny it's a raid. there are teenagers here right now you are in the middle of the battle wild assaults against your mind things happening there are young people here. It's like, man, Pastor Ruby, it's like, I don't get it. I don't see what everybody else sees. I, and your heart is in, a, in the middle of a storm. Let me say it to you again. You have a destiny, and there's an enemy that wants to rob you of that destiny. Parents, society, a church, functions to protect children. And understand that is what's going on here. I'm telling you that God is looking for Fathers will listen to his voice. Say, God, I want your help. I do not want to try to raise this family on my own understanding. He has something to say to you the way he had to Joseph. Let's stand together. I'm going to open these altars this morning. We're going to worship God. I believe that there are those here God is dealing with. I want to invite you to come. Amen. Let's worship God. Lost are saved.